first one. What's he say? Yes. That is, the people you eat with are more important than what's on the menu. Is that true? Would you rather go to a really nice restaurant with people you can't stand, or go to McDonald's with people you really love to be around? McDonald's yeah. tastes better anyway. <laughs> okay, I can't get anywhere with you guys. Not illustration, can I? Uh, well, yeah, I mean... You know, harmony in relationships means so much. And you can think about that not just in the family. Think about that in your neighborhood. Better to be in a poor neighborhood with good neighbors that you like to be around than in the most exclusive neighborhoods with neighbors that are really ornery and complicated. You know, that are always wanting to pick a fight. Better to be in a job where you've got a good atmosphere and good co-workers that are pleasant and make less than to make a killing being around people that you can't stand that are always stirring things up and making life miserable. The atmosphere is worth more than the material blessings. I think that's a very true statement, but I don't think we think about that very often. I don't think we realize the value of the quietness versus the strife. Comments and questions on that one? In two, this is interesting. A wise servant will rule over the son who acts shamefully. Wisdom is thicker than blood. <laughs> you know, because think about it. You've got a business and you've got a wise employee and a really foolish son. Who are you going to leave the business to? Who are you going to trust with the business while you're on vacation, employee? You know, wisdom means more than just having a physical connection with the person. Um, your status doesn't amount to much if it's not matched by wise character. Think about Solomon. Who ended up with most of his kingdom? Rehoboam. Jeroboam. Jeroboam who had been one of his servants until he had to flee. And Rehoboam ends up with one tribe. Judah gets Benjamin, and that's it. Uh, because he was foolish son, Jeroboam was a wiser servant, so he got more. So, teach your children to be wise. Don't make them think that just because they're connected to you, everything will always get handed to them. Comments on that one? Verse 3. You know, silver's refined, gold's refined in a furnace, and the Lord tests the heart. So, adversity and difficulties, the fire, will really separate the appearance from the reality. God will be able to see what's genuine when we go through fire. When things are going great, you can't tell. But when things are tough, it really uh, shows the character and the quality of a person. Make sense? I think it does. And then verse 4. I think this is so true. 
What do evil people listen to? Evil people. Yes. Evil people like evil ideas. They like their own kind. What you listen to tells you a lot about you. You know, you can, you can tell about yourself by the kind of people you like to be around, the kind of people you like listening to, the kinds of ideas that you like to pick up. Uh, and, and a liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. You know, so you will tend to listen to the kind of person that fits your character. Think about that, but that's so true. You want to be around the people who fit your character. If you like to be around foolish people, why? Because you're foolish. Yeah, absolutely. You wouldn't enjoy them if it wasn't a part of your character to be around them. Can you see that? Comments and thoughts on that? All right, and then verse 5. This is so true. What about somebody who looks down on and speaks bad about the poor? He's punching his finger. Yeah, God made the poor man. Don't you look down on him. Don't you speak bad about him. You know, when, in what <coughs> circumstances would we tend to speak badly of the poor people? When would we tend to mock them? Okay, yes. But I'm th saying, like, what would we mock them about? Their dependence. Their dependence. I, mean, I think we, I think sometimes we might think, well, who'd ever do that? And who mocks the poor? But I think they are mocked sometimes. In what situations? What they wear. What they wear. You talk about their shopping carts. <laughs> you know, those that are pushing the carts around make fun of that. Or yes. <laughs> yeah. There's it's not so much that we're making fun of their balance sheet or their bank account, but it's things that they do, things that they wear, etc., that we make fun of. You make fun of the guy or the gal who wears hand-me-down clothes. You know, do you make fun of the person who drives a ratty car, who lives in a shabby house, you know, who doesn't have the money to do stuff you can do? Shouldn't. Are they worth less because they're poor? Not in real love. So, and God made them. Um, I like this. This may not be... Uh, may not translate as well, but here's a quote I picked up. It makes little sense that one pot shirt of earth mocks another because it happens to have gotten from the potter a little gilding and superficial decoration. <laughs> They're both just clay pots, you know, when it's all said and done. Just because one looks a little glitzier on the outside doesn't change their nature. We're all frail human beings, you know, Making fun of somebody because of their financial situation is really not a good thing. If you rejoice at their calamity, you won't go unpunished. Yeah. And that goes on all levels because those people that are rich, they're God's creation. Those people that are poor, they're God's creation. And everyone in between. 
and even <coughs> the animals that God's created, if we mock any of those things or people, that's mocking God. That's taunting God for what he's created. Yes, that's true in some senses, although man was created in the image of God in a special way. But yes, um, and so. Look at six. Grandchildren are the crown of old men. Now think about that. You're a little young to be thinking about this, most of you. But what's your goal when you're raising your children? You want your children to grow up and be strong Christians, right? Ever thought about this? Raising your children to raise their children? Well, because really, it's not just how your children do, how your grandchildren do is the crown of old men. So raise your children to be good parents. That, that's something to think about. And then the glory of sons is their father. You know, wow, what a blessing it is to have a good father. A father you can be proud of. I know some of you don't. But it's a blessing when you do. You work to be the kind of father your children can be proud of. You know, live in such a way that your children respect you and they're glad that you're their father. Think about those that we can father spiritually also and living in such a way that our spiritual children can be proud of us. Comments and questions on those six verses? Ethan. Going back to um, verse 5, how we talked about everyone's made equal, not just with like the poor person or the rich, but with the character. Like um, Back when Bin Laden was killed, a lot of people were celebrated, and I had a friend say that, why celebrate? That's another soul that was lost. The Bible talks about how one soul is worth more than the whole world. And this person may not look like someone that will listen or may be a danger to you, but we still need to bring the gospel to them. We need to try to convert them. And as God tells Paul in Acts, he will protect him from the people he's sending him to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we certainly all people are people that God loves and God seeks to save. Sometimes we have prejudiced attitudes where we don't feel that way. Now, people who refuse to repent, God will see to it that justice is done, and that's appropriate. But that's not for us to do. Right. I think you can kind of see the nature or the, the character of a person in their grandkids more than in just their kids. Um, you know, you might see someone who is pretty fervent, but their you know kids do all the right things, but their heart isn't in it, and the grandkids tend to not even do the right things. They just kind of leave. Um, I wonder if that's what Ephesus looked like. You know, it was presumably a good church in, in Paul's day, but the second generation in Revelation was, uh, you know, they were just mechanical and they didn't have their heart in it, and you wonder what the third generation was going to look like. Excellent point, and I do, I've seen that a lot. You've got, you know, the grandparents, they were converted out of the world, perhaps, they really love God, they're really fervent, they, they raised their children to do certain things. 
They raise their children to always go to church, not to drink, not to smoke, not to cuss, you know, etc. And so they're chill. They go to church. They don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't cuss. But their children, their life is dominated by their job, by their friends. As they're raising the grandchildren, they're raising their children. They want them to be popular. They're really concerned about sports and, and you know, grades and, and all this. And the children see that while the parents... They always go to church. They don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't cuss, but it doesn't mean much in the parents' life. It's just kind of what they inherit and what they go through the motions of. So the grandkids end up, they don't care about those things. That really wasn't the priority in their parents' life. The parents just did those things because they'd always done those things. Maybe the parents even did those things because they didn't want to displease their parents. And so by the grandkids' generation, you see kids that are totally secular and they don't care at all about the that is a really common pattern. And so raising our children not just to follow the rules, but to love God. There's a difference. You can raise your kids to follow the rules. Or you can raise your children to have a heart for the Lord. And that's the goal. Other thoughts? Alright, how about seven to nine? Arrogant lips are arrogant lips are unsuited to a fool. How much worse <coughs> lying lips to a ruler. A bribe is a charm to the one who gives it. Wherever he turns he succeeds. He who covers <coughs> he who he who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Okay. In my translation in verse 7, it's excellent speech is not fitting for a fool, much lesser lying lips to a prince. It's like that you don't expect people who have the character of a fool to say wise, valuable things. They just don't fit together. I mean, do you know somebody who's really their lifestyle, their behavior is foolish. How does it feel when they say something good? Out of place. Do I? Mm -hmm. Out of place. Out of place, exactly. That's the word. It's like, that was weird. <laughs> you know, like, I don't understand why they said that. It doesn't, doesn't seem to fit or to flow. I remember a time recently where there's somebody whose life is not very good, but they actually said some things promoting a spiritual cause. And it was like, that was odd. Well, you know, why were they why were they doing that? You know, it's not, it's just, it just seems weird. Um, because they don't really fit. Um, so you can actually say some good things, but if your character is bad, it's gonna seem out of place. People are going to look at you much more by your lifestyle than by, by figuring out some good things to say. You ever see somebody who actually makes an intelligent comment now and then in a Bible class? And you're like, well, you don't live that. You know, that, that seems kind of, yeah, I don't know, it just, it just doesn't fit very well. So work to get your life right. Don't work just to say the right thing. 
Because if you say the right thing, but you're a, a rotten person, people still aren't going to respect you. And probably they aren't going to listen to you. Because when somebody has bad character and speaks, we don't pay much attention. All right? Comments on that verse? Look at verse 8. This is another observ observational, descriptive <laughs> proverb. It doesn't tell you what you ought to do. It tells you what happens. And what happens is this. A bribe is a charm in the sight of its owner. Wherever he turns, he prospers. In other words, a bribe will get things done. You know, from the standpoint of the briber, a bribe, a bribe works like a charm. You know, is that true? We've got, a, we've got an expression we use that kind of gives that idea. Money talks. You ever heard somebody use that? You know, some well-placed bucks in the right person's hand, the right person's hand, will grease the wheels, we say. They'll make things easier. You know, it'll work. Hey, he's not saying it's a good idea. It's unjust. It's unfair. But, it, you know, bribes make a lot of difference. You know, and they make a lot of difference in politics. You know, people spend a lot of money to gain some influence. Ever wonder why some crazy laws are written? Sometimes there's money behind it. You know, <laughs> the money will work, at least in the short run. Um, so, that's, that's, a, that's a truism. It's not a recommendation. Thoughts and comments about that? Cameron. It says that it's a charm in the sight of its own doesn't say in the sight of God. It says that it is a charm. It just says that it's a charm in the sight of his own. Yeah. And that's because he prospers. And you give money, you get money. We should not be looking for money. We should be looking for the things that God likes and the things that are a charm in the sight of God. Exactly. That's exactly right. Good point. And then verse 8. Or verse 9, rather. He who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. Okay, so um, somebody does something to you or says something to you that they shouldn't have said or done. And you confront them and they apologize. And you forgive them. Then what should you do? Forget it and don't bring it up. How does it work if somebody every time you turn around brings it up again? Remember that day you messed up and you did this, you said that? You know, you owe me one. That is not good. You know, don't keep dwelling on it. Um, you bury the wrong that was done. Don't bring it up something that somebody did to somebody else all the time either. Mike. True repentance turns away from a wicked lifestyle and doesn't keep repeating it. True forgiveness forgives and doesn't keep repeating or bringing up that subject. Yes. That's really important. You know... Do you do that? Is there somebody that wronged you at one point and you keep rubbing in their face? What about your parents? Do your parents ever 
do something that they shouldn't have. You got it worked out, but every time you turn around, you try to throw it back up in their face, or a sibling, or something like that. You don't do that. You know, deal with it. When the repentance occurs, forget it and go on. Don't keep repeating it. You wouldn't want that done to you. Maybe you've had that done to you. It stinks. Comments and thoughts? Ten to, uh, oh, I don't know, let's do ten to uh, sixteen. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. An evil man seeks only rebellion, and a cruel messenger will sit will be sent against him. Let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. If anyone returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. The beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Why should a fool have money in his hand to buy wisdom when he has no sense? Alright, some cool <laughs> proverbs in this. What is he saying in verse 10? A wise person can take um, criticism of a fool. A wise person can take criticism. What does a wise person do with criticism? Listens. Listens and corrects himself. That's exactly right. You rebuke a wise man, and he'll change. He'll learn from it. You know, um, remember when Jesus turned and looked at Peter? After Peter denied him, Peter went out and wept bitter, bitterly. It changed Peter. That's the right thing. But what? But he said it's better than a hundred blows into a fool. You know, whereas a wise man, just a word of correction, will change him. You can, you can try to beat the sense into a fool, and he still won't listen. Can you think of some examples in the Bible where a fool couldn't be beaten into wisdom? Pharaoh is a great example. Wow! I mean, God kept whipping him and beating him up. Didn't work, did it? He, he was stubborn. And there's other examples like that in the Old Testament. So, we need to be the kind of person who's sensitive to rebukes. Who listens. I hate somebody telling me that what I'm doing is wrong. I hate having to listen to criticism. I think I mostly hate it because it makes me embarrassed and makes me feel dumb for having done the wrong thing. But it's a blessing to receive it. I recognize that intellectually. It still doesn't feel good. But I ought to want it. And I ought to respond to it. What, what's, the, what's sometimes the tendency when we're rebuked? Defensive. You know... We try to uh, prove ourselves right. There's not any value in that. Learn from it. Comments on that one? In 11, a rebellious man seeks only evil. So 
so a cruel messenger will be sent against him. You know, a rebel will get punished. That's his point. Verse 12, let a man meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. What would it be like to meet a bear robbed of her cubs? Whoa. Because am I right that a bear is one of the more, you know, ferocious animals? Is that a good way to say that? I mean, you'd be you'd be better off meeting a lot of other animals than meeting an angry bear. Am I right? Yeah. And a bear robbed of her cubs. I mean, that's going against instinct. You I've heard like you don't want to get in between a bear and a cub. Or something like that. Whoa. Bear will tear you up. You know, but better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his folly. Because a fool in his folly will destroy things. Wow. Can you think of some examples in the Bible? Where you just hate to meet a fool in his folly? Saul. Saul. What are you thinking of? Um, Can you think of a specific instance? Well, <coughs> several times he was so busy and blinded by going after David that the Philistines were attacking his other borders. Good point. I'm thinking of 1 Samuel 22, where he exterminated the priests because he was mad at them helping David. It was like, why? Wow, wiped out the whole town of Nob. You know... <laughs> You meet a fool in his folly, you'd be better off meeting a bear robbed of her cubs. Think about Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi. Remember what they did with the people of Shechem? It was pretty ornery of them, to say the least. And so forth and so on. You don't want to mess with a fool. He's going to, he's, he'll do all kinds of, you know, outrageous things. So he's just, oh, it's almost, you know, I don't know what you want to say. He's, he's uh, in, a, in a sense, just showing how bad dealings with a fool really are. Thoughts? I can know. Yes. Other thoughts? Look at verse 13. He who returns evil for good, evil will not depart from his house. Kind of like what goes around comes around. If you do evil, evil will afflict your family. Can you think of a good Bible example of that? Solomon. Solomon, yes. Achan, absolutely. How about David? You know, he ended up being foolish. He returned evil to Uriah for the good Uriah had done as a decorated soldier of his, and the evil did not depart from his house. When you do wrong, it'll affect your family. Comments? I like verse 14. Do you understand verse 14? Yeah, you'd better stop strife before it starts. Because how does strife work? It erupts. It erupts. 
and it keeps getting worse and worse. You know, you say something mean to somebody, and what will they do? Sell something mean or back, and then what will you do? And then what will they do? And pretty soon, what are you doing? What do you say? Stepping up one. Yeah, stepping up one. Yeah. Pretty soon, you may even come to physical blows. You didn't start there. But once it gets started, it kind of takes off and have a, has a life of its own. You know, so stop it before it starts. Don't let that get started. You know, you can't control it once you let it out. You know, a conflict starts out small, but then it, it may just get out of hand. And you can't, you can't manage it then. You know, once the water has broken through the dam, you can't put it back. And sometimes, you know, the break in the dam can occur with a really small leak at the beginning. And then it just erodes the dam and becomes a flood. That's the way strife is. That's the way quarreling is. You've got to stop it before it gets started. Because it will, it'll, it'll just be uncontrollable. It'll hurt everybody. Comments? Questions? It's a good way of comparing it, isn't it? Alright, look at uh, verse 15. Would you agree with verse 15? Well, let me, let me give you an alternate. Here's a proverb. See what you think about this quote-unquote proverb. It is better to free... Ten guilty men than to condemn one innocent one. Would you agree with that? It's better to free ten guilty men than to than to punish one innocent man. Would you agree with that? That's an opinion. Was well, it the right opinion? That's exactly right. I don't think that's what we think. But it's what this says. This says justifying the wicked and condemning the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. It's just as bad to let the wicked man off the hook than it is to punish the innocent man. Both of them are an abomination to God. I think we've grown up in a culture that says if there's any possibility of punishing an innocent man, never punish a guilty man. Because, because it's just way worse to punish an innocent man than to free a guilty man. That's not true. Because both of them are unjust. The goal is justice. Justice is not served when you punish the innocent man, but justice is also not served when you let the guilty man go off the, get off the hook free. Both of them are an outrage to God's justice. But I don't think we think of it that way from our culture. I think so often we've been taught, well, at all costs, don't punish an innocent man. Therefore, don't punish anybody. But that's horrible. Guilty people ought to be punished. Comments and questions? Yes. 
first time I heard this verse, it kind of started being like, uh, do you think this should relate back to um, whoever says, you know, who justifies the wicked? But I mean, do you think that could relate back to, like, we see a friend of ours who's not a Christian and he's doing something, we don't say anything or we don't care. And we go back and we have a friend who is a Christian, he does the same thing and we get down on him. Do you think that could relate back? I mean, that, do you think that's maybe the same instance? Well, wrong is always wrong. But, you know, but obviously we have greater expectations of Christians. You know, I mean, a wicked person really needs to come to the Lord and change his values. So I think we would ha hold a Christian to a higher standard. To whom God gives much, he requires much. So I don't know. Yes, Logan. Um, in this verse, it's kind of relating to... Um, when Jesus was crucified, they were punishing an innocent man and setting free Barabbas, the wicked man. Yeah, so they did both wrong, didn't they? That's double wrong. Yeah, good point. Other thoughts? Okay. Um, Sixteen. This is a good question, isn't it? Why is there a price in the hand of a fool to buy wisdom when he has no sense? What's he saying? Even if he could buy wisdom, it wouldn't do him any good. He wouldn't know how to use it. Yeah. Wisdom you can't buy. If you're a wicked person, you won't get wisdom. You've got to change your life, change your heart. Wisdom is useless in the hands of a fool. You know, money can't buy wisdom. And you only prove how foolish you are by trying to buy it. You have to change your life. You have to have good character. You have to want what's right. You can't buy that kind of stuff. <coughs> Comments? Questions? All right. Um, 17 to 22. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man lacking in sense pleasures and becomes guaranteer in the presence of his neighbor. He who loves transgression loves strife. He who raises his door seeks destruction. He who has a crooked mind finds no good, and he who is perverted in his language falls into evil. He who, he, he who hires a fool does so to his sorrow, and the father of a fool has no joy. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. So, how can you tell a true friend? How they act in limited adversity? Yes. Because a lot of friends who are only friends when things are going well for you. Or maybe they get something out of it. Or whatever. But they're not there when the times are rough. What kind of a friend is that? Job's friends. Yeah, Job's friends. That's exactly right. You don't want to be a Job's friend. You know, are you the kind of person who's a friend when the person really needs help and they haven't got anything to offer you? That's the real friend. And that's the kind of friend you ought to value. Who's the friend who will stick with you, helping you when you're not doing well? Those are your real friends. Those are your real brothers. 
The others are just selfish. They're just out for themselves. Comments? Well, what about verse 18? He said this before, don't co-sign alone. Don't assume a legal responsibility for somebody else's debt. Now, I think he says that in 18 to kind of qualify verse 17. <laughs> Being a reliable friend in adversity doesn't mean you co-sign alone. It doesn't mean you risk giving someone something that you need. He doesn't mean you just bail them out at unlimited expense. That is not what he was trying to say in verse 17. Because to accept financial disaster by assuming somebody else's debts is just foolish. So there is a limit even on how far friendship will go in adversity. You want to be a nice guy. So you want to agree to do anything that's going to make people happy with you, but sometimes that's not wise. Comments and questions? All right, how about verse uh, 19? I understand the first part of this. I don't understand the second part. He who loves transgression loves strife. He who raises his door seeks destruction. I am not sure what he means by he who raises his door. Anyone have uh, conviction about that? Okay. To, so, like, for what reason? Okay. So, to kind of try to impress people, to lift himself up above other people, uh, maybe to try to impress more, that would lead to destruction. That may be that may be the idea. Trying to elevate himself leads to destruction. The New Century Version says, whoever brags a lot is asking for trouble. Yes, and that's a possibility. Raising his door may mean <laughs> trying to brag too much. That is a possibility. Uh, both of those I had in my notes as possibilities. Any other thoughts? Yeah, it's possible. Here's another thought. Raising his door might be isolating himself and kind of, you know, just distancing himself from people. It's another possibility. I don't think anybody's really confident what that raising their door uh, idea means, but those are some possibilities. Verse 20. The one who has a crooked mind finds no good. He who's perverted in his language falls into evil. You know, a twisted mind will lead to a bad tongue, will lead to a ruined life. All starts with the heart, comes out in the speech, and results in the destiny. Pretty typical pattern in Proverbs. Comments? And then verse 21, look at how much, you know, impact your children have on you. You sire a fool, you do, to your own, you do so to your own sorrow, the father of a fool has no joy. You know, bad children, bad sons and daughters can just ruin 
the life of their parents. You have so much impact over your parents' even happiness by how well or poorly you do. He said that several times already, but that's certainly true. And then look at verse 22. He said this before too, but what's he making a connection between? Attitude and our physical status. That's exactly right. Your attitude affects your health. A joyful heart is good medicine. But a broken spirit dries up the bones. Sometimes we don't think about that. But it's certainly true that one of the best things for us, even physical health-wise, is a joyful spirit. You know, when you're doing well in the Lord and, and you're joyful in the Lord, it's going to help you feel better. And when you're burdened down with guilt and stress and, and alienation from God, it's going to eat, eat, eat at your body even. That, that's something we wouldn't always think about. You know, we think of health as being strictly a matter of germs. <laughs> but there's more to it than that. All right, thoughts about that? All right, how about 23 to 28? A wicked man accepts the bribe behind the back. He perverts the ways of justice. Wisdom is, this, is in the sight of him who has understanding. But the eyes of the fool are on the end of the earth. A foolish tongue is a grief to his father, and bitterness to her who bore him. Also to punish your righteousness is not good. Nor to strike princes for what are for the uprising. He who has knowledge bears his word, and a man of understanding is of calm spirit. Even a fool is counted wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he is considered perceptive. Yes. 23. A man receives a bribe, in my translation, from the bosom to pervert the ways of justice. Now we understand the purpose of the bribe is to pervert justice. It's to get the judge or whoever to do something crooked for my benefit. But why does he speak of a wicked man receiving a bribe from the bosom? It's the idea of it being from the bosom. In secret? Yes. It's not a bribe unless it's secret. <laughs> you know, the whole idea of this is it's under the table money that nobody knows about. You know, if it's open, then it really doesn't work. So this is putting some money in somebody's pocket without anybody else finding out about it so I can get some sort of dishonest, unjust favor. You know, what about this? You're in a position where you are buying for a company. You're buying their materials. And there's a particular company that secretly lets you know that if you buy from them, you'll get a lot of money. 
Now they have a higher price, but you're going to make more. Now this isn't something where you're receiving a gift that you tell your bosses and everybody knows about this. This is something that's just between you and the company you're buying from. Is that ethical? It's not. If you're getting something like that and you can't tell your company about it, something's going on there that's not right. You know, most companies have policies if you're in that position as to what you can and cannot accept, even in terms of gifts. Because they want you to choose the best people to buy from, from the standpoint of price and quality and service and whatever, they don't want you to choose based upon how, many, how much money you get in your pocket. That would not be wise. All right, comments and questions about that? All right, um, verse 24, I love this one. Wisdom is in the presence of the one who has understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. You know, a, 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 a one who has understanding is wise. But, but what does he mean when he says, the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth? He's not looking at what So what did that tell you about it? He's not satisfied with what he has. He's not looking at his surroundings. So what does that tell you about it? He's clueless. Yeah. <laughs> what else? Head in the clouds. What does that mean? Uh, it means that you're not in touch with reality. Yeah, what are you what are you what are you doing all the time? Daydreaming. Yeah. So if you're daydreaming, you're distracted, you're not focused on anything, and maybe the dream is that you're, you're dreaming for some unattainable goal, you're, you're wanting some, you know, something that you think will be really great, but you don't focus on the practical things you need to do right now. You know, a fool, he's always saying, oh, if I could just do this, oh, this would be great. But he doesn't really concentrate on what he can do that would help himself. He doesn't have a consistent focus. He's always focused on unattainable goals. Man, I wish I could get a million dollars. Man, I bet there's some deal if I could just find it where I'd get rich for nothing. In the meantime, the job he could do that would give him a little money to eat on, he doesn't do. Because he's always pursuing this unattainable, far-off goal and he's not even consistent in that. He jumps from one thing to another, to another, to another. You know, I know some people like that in terms of their job. I remember one guy many, many years ago, really personable, young man, college-age guy, really talked well, seemed really intelligent. He never could hold a job in about a month. He'd lose interest. He'd go ahead and go something else. He'd go something else. He couldn't do anything for more than a month. Well, it was just a messed up life. He had no ability to stick with anything. You know, he was always just wanting something else. Well, that's, that's not wise. Uh, that, that, maybe you're like that. But that's, that's a foolish way to live. Comments? OK, 
Okay? What about 25? We're back to what a fu 